Deep Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good as always to have you along. Thanks to remarkable advances in modern healthcare attributable to science, engineering, and medicine, it is now possible to cure or manage illnesses that were long deemed untreatable. At the same time, the hefty cost of developing new drugs remain a healthcare challenge. Could modified drugs alleviate some of that financial burden? Yes, it can. We'll get into the details. And we're on a mission of starting your week with the motivational kick. Our motivational Monday offerings will get you ready to tackle the week. For upcoming shows, by the way, we're looking forward to your participation. Is there anything you want to know about these two following separate topics? One. Asian elephant protection and wildlife conservation, and two AI technological development and pitfalls. Please send your audio or email questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi and Fei Fei in the studio. First on today's show, the cost of developing new drug. Uh, can easily exceed hundreds of millions of dollars, which has turned some attention to the industry to modify drugs. Chinese medical experts point out that the drive to develop modified drug products lies in their significant clinical advantages and to fulfill clinical needs. At a recent medicine and pharmaceutical summit, so. Is it kind of like we've seen a little further by standing on the shoulders of pharmaceutical giants? Tell us about what's happened recently. I think we do have a lot of this discussion and also different practices in terms of promoting this so-called modified new drugs. And in China, here we have a summit on the trend and cooperation of modified new drug products being held in Suzhou, Jiangsu Province, on April 11th this year. And it seems that during the summit, many experts believe that sort of confirm that there is certain significant clinical advantages and being very. Useful in terms of promoting this modified new drugs, and also it's good to addressing unmet clinical needs. However, in reality, we've seen that nowadays, when you look at those modified new drugs, somehow some. Business business operators they focus too much on the so-called modification process, you know, to modify in order to modify, instead of really paying attention to the to the real needs of patients. So that's why during the summit, Professor Yang Jin from China Pharmaceutical University saying that instead we should focus on the improvement of modified new drugs instead of modification process, and only those drugs with real significant Significant clinical advantages are meaningful for patients. So I think that's sort of a common understanding coming out from this summit. And meantime,、uh, in reality, some people don't really understand too much about what is really the modified new drugs and what is innovative drugs. So I think it's really important to have this discussion and conversation. Yeah, exactly, and I think、um, the concept of modified drugs can be confusing too, especially our listeners who are not really familiar with medicine or pharmaceutical technology. But what modified drugs means are pretty much refers to drug products which optimize the structure or the dosage form or the prescription process, administration route, indication, etc. Based on the active pharmaceutical ingredients of an original drug product, that's already known. It, it put it simpler is that some of the drugs that's how. Already been on the market, has been tested and put into use for some time, and now the scientists or medical staff are trying to 
optimize and improve some part of that drug so that it can better help with the patients. It can help with different aspects of their life. For example, it can reduce the dosage uh, so that some some drugs, as we know, need to be taken. For example, three times a day, and that can be add up to the complication to the to the fact that that some patients may be forgetting mm. once or twice of that day, and now they're trying to, for example, reduce that time to, for example, once a day. That would be much simpler for the patients to remember, and that's just a very small part of this modified drug products. And but now I think the bigger picture is. Cost effective as well is that some of the drugs, especially treating severe diseases like cancer,、um, the traditional or the original formula of the drugs can be really expensive. And now the scientists are looking at ways to maybe by reducing the dosage or reducing the administration routes, so that the patients can be. Spending less money and energy into taking in those drugs and medicines, and that's quite important because, well, yeah, we know we need need innovation in our drugs, but at the same time, we also need to look back at the drugs we already have and to see, you know, what we can do to make it better. I think that's the simpler version of this modified drug products. I think yes, and is there. A major difference between so-called innovative drugs and modified release drugs. Well,、or? definitely. You know, as Fei-Fei said, I think、uh, modified new drugs are basically those products we are developing based on those previous drugs that we already know a lot about. Like we know how to use those drugs, and we know what sort of ingredients we need to produce that drug. And meantime, how effective it can be to. Treat certain diseases. However, when you talk about innovative drugs, I think they are mainly new drugs that contain new compounds with clear structures and effects, and then they also have their own clinical values. Well, I think for、uh, patients, maybe we don't really、uh, see a lot. Like significance in terms of differentiating those two drugs, but I think for those、uh, medicine businesses operators, I think they do have a lot of.、Uh, Differences. For example, when you are trying to invent a new drug, it can be really consuming in terms of time, in terms of money. I mean, you have to do a lot of research to make sure that kind of ingredient is effective in terms of treating certain diseases, and somehow you will need. To do a lot of researches to make sure that can be safe for patients, and you know, for business operators, that means you need to invest a lot, a lot of time and money to do that process. However, I think compared with you know so-called innovative drugs, when you are trying to modify certain new drugs,、uh, for operators, they just need to spend. A fewer amount of money, and the process can be shorter, and the process can be easier. And according to relevant experts, the success rate can also be higher compared to inventing new drugs.、Mm-hmm. So I think that's why we seen a lot of like、um, measures and policies to support this kind of development of modified new drugs. Right, and when we talk about developing new drugs or Before a drug can reach the market and can be prescribed to patients,、um, one needs to think about the approval process as well, and then before that, you know, clinical trials as such. And with these modified drugs, I would think that you still need to. Go through the clinical trial as well as the approval process, and、um, it the process is more or less similar. But sometimes there are more rounds of administrative and bureaucratic applications、uh, companies need to go through. But、um, usually there will be this quite lengthy、um, period to let the government to agree with if this can. Be a safe product to hit the market, and with the modified drugs,、um, is there some information about this part of the process, or maybe this is、uh, something that、um, we need to consult experts to discuss?、Um, well, 
you, to answer that, I think we can have a look at the current, for example, the majority of these modified drugs in the market here in China, is that they can be modified into four, basically four types, is that they can improve on the active pharmaceutical ingredients, or they can have new dosage forms and new administration routes, or new compound formulations or new indications. And now... On the market, most of the modified drugs follows on the new dosage forms and new administration routes. And I think for authorities, when it comes to looking at some of the new um, modified drugs, they can, well, sometimes be guaranteed that the stability or the safety of that known formula is guaranteed because it's already in the market, has been tested and proved safe for the mass population here. But so sometimes, for example, in China, these modified drug products are registered as class two chemical drugs. And that means most of them are not sort of brand new. They don't have like brand new ingredients that the authorities have to look into details to make sure it's safe for the market. And I think that's also why the scientists and also companies are talking about people need to pay more attention on these modified drugs is because for countries like China, who we apparently don't have major pharmaceutical companies who can afford tens, decades of experiments and putting into billions of dollars into experiments for new drugs. And also you have to face the fact that these money and experience can fail after decades Mm -hmm. of efforts. So not many companies around the world can afford that. So by looking into these modified drugs now is more, I think, cost effective way for pharmaceutical companies in China to really be able to accumulate some of the uh, experiences, knowledge, and and also capital, mm-hmm. so that they can continue to develop in the market. I think you mentioned a really good point here. That is classification of these drugs, because in China we do have different classification in terms of uh, classifying different drugs. For example, there are class one and class two, and normally, you know, those two major classes are discussed a lot of time when we talk about modified new drugs or innovative drugs because you know in theory we know that modified new drugs are those drugs being modified based on previous and based on you know those drugs we have however before in reality you can see that some drugs some modified new drugs are really classified in the class class one um category, which means innovative drugs that have not been marketed in China or overseas. And well, there there is certain um, reason why, you know, uh, companies are listing this sort of modified new drugs into this category, basically to somehow promote it as a brand new, you know, drug and somehow to promote a more innovative brand influence. However, that can also lead to a huge investment and, and also a waste of time and money if we don't really classify these drugs correctly. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think in 2020, we have a very clear guideline from the uh, National Medical Authority saying that modified new drugs belong to the second category in China which means modified new drugs that have not been marketed in China or overseas. So, you know, I think these are very, very um, strange terminology for our like regular audience or for, you know, uh, public on a daily basis. However, when you look at this whole process, you will know that it's a very complicated process, you know, from researching, from investing money and the time, and then to... Uh, allowing they can be going listed to the market and then to classification. I think to have a clear guideline and to have a clearer system to uh, classify different drugs can be beneficial in terms of providing better treatment to patients. Yeah, and I'm also thinking that if we put in simple words that modified drugs is kind of like building Uh, standing on top of the shoulders of giants, then also in the pharmaceutical world, once a new drug hits the market, it bears the promise of recovering um, 
at least hundreds of millions, if not sometimes up to maybe a billion U.S. dollars of uh of cash that went into research and development. And if this drug has had some time to recover the cost, and then you talk about modifying it, then I think it makes more financial sense mm-hmm. in, in that uh, in that aspect. But also I think there's one part about developing drugs that is um, a, a little bit difficult for the public to sort of um, sentimentally accept that is it is so expensive and it is um, this this cost that goes into the process as investment and the pharmaceutical companies would like to get their investment back but how long can you get that done I mean that's one thing so there's this financial and economic discussion in this area where we're talking about saving people's lives and especially when you look at the individual cases and the predicament of a lot of patients who who are suffering from these kind of diseases that need new drugs to cure and then it's it's heartbreaking to see so then sometimes they come in in such expensive cost each dose and and that is sort of a, a really um something tough to juggle in in the uh healthcare aspect of things so that also sheds light on why it's important to look at more affordable ways to get people the care and the drugs that they very much need. Um, and also when you look at any small advancement in medicine, it's usually um, unthinkable amount of hard work of sometimes generations of medical experts or scientists that go into the field. For example, if you think about the mRNA vaccines during COVID that many people enjoyed, um, well, had the jabs uh, during the last three years, but this technology took more than three decades of um, scientists to go into this field and to to um, really put in the hard work generation after generation to come up with something like this. And as a member of the public, you think, oh, that just came out so quickly. But in fact, it is building on the shoulders of giants. And these are often unsung unsung heroes until um, the medicine or the drug is out there and maybe they'll be awarded with the Nobel Prize or something like that. So when we take a look at um, the future development of modified drugs as such, um, what do you see as the sort of potential streaks that we're going here? I think when talking about medicine, you know, although they can be very significantly important for patients and also for the overall medical course in China and also around the world, all in all, you have to admit it's a product anyway. And so you have to look at the consumer side, which is patient, and then the supply side, which is the business operators. When you look at the consumer side, I mean, China is aging and we have an increasing aging population. And then we have also an increasing number of people who suffer from chronic diseases. And that could just lead to a huge demand for different medicines. So that's why I think um, as a country a whole, you know, China is trying to promote and develop these modified new drugs to really um, cover and address different needs from the patient size. And then, you know, for the supply side, we've talked talk about this f- uh, before, you know, for Uh, medical for medicine companies, it's just a more cost effective way to modify different drugs than inventing new drugs compared when you consider um, a cost in time in money and in technology, it's just a more practical and more pragmatic way to support the development of modified new drugs. And then when you look at uh, policies, we do have a lot of favorable policies to support the, the development of modified new drugs and from, you know, giving out a more clear guideline in terms of classifying the drugs and to provide uh, medical insurance policy to make those drugs more affordable to patients and to provide per, uh, 
uh, favorable policies to companies to make them uh, just can afford the whole process of invent, investing or researching during the process. So I think all in all, I think the, the market will keep expanding. And I think, of course, we can look forward to more innovative drugs coming out of uh, the, the Chinese market with more cutting edge technology being applied. So that's my opinion about it. And also, I think when looking back at recent years that we've seen, as some experts have pointed out, that there have been a lot of attention paid into innovative drugs, to the new drugs in the market, but not much of attention has really been put into these modified drugs. And now that after COVID for about three years, and these, the, 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 I think, people working in medicine and also in the drug industry have seen a quite big growth for the past three years. And now is really the time to look back and to see, you know, what's the more rational choice here, especially now considering, you know, the Chinese government is also trying to include more drugs, more medicine choices into the public healthcare system. And now I think these, especially young companies, smaller companies in China needs a new option right now to really uh, to be put into more cost-effective and also efficient way to be able to really survive in the capital market because we're talking about, you know, on the one end, the public and the government want a lower cost of for medicine, but on the other side, you want big money going into medicine so that you can have more innovative, cutting-edge technology in medicine, which is also crucial if uh, us as humans want to go forward. So how to you know juggle between this balance is really you need of course need innovation which have been talked about quite a lot over the past several years and also we sometimes you need to look at the existence existing drugs options and to see what you can improve for example some of the drugs uh, can be reduced down from three injections a day to maybe one injection per week and that's not only means a lot for the patient themselves but also means a lot for the you know there are potential for the pharmaceutical companies that you can continue with this old quote-unquote old mm-hmm. drugs that you can do they have still a lot of potential and i think within the industry many are agreeing that the modified drug com- the market will continue to grow especially here in china into multi-billion dollar industry yeah we are seeing a lot of domestic uh, pharmaceutical players that have joined the field and also grabbing the limelight to some extent in the last three years because there's so much attention that goes into better medicine, cures uh, as such. But also I think we need to acknowledge the fact that this is not one of those industries that just by pumping in money for a decade and sort of grabbing talent from here and there, wherever you can find, and then pour these resources into the industry and boom, you will get what you want. Because I think there are still a lot of these very realistic obstacles that is in front of a new market, a new industry, as we are seeing this is relatively new in China. And then a lot of companies are still trying to find their way, their feet in on the ground, that kind of thing. And it takes some time. It takes, like I said earlier on, generations of input, of talent, of um, technology. But it is promising to see that we are in an age that technology is advancing far faster than it used to be. So with um, this sort of concerted effort that goes there, then one can be hopeful. And at the core of this, I still think patent is a big deal here Mm -hmm. and you can't ask companies just to say open up your vault and show us your patent and because well also i i actually would like our listeners to also join in and um send us your thoughts about this that is you know currently what we see the the rule of the game seems to be that it's uh, private companies or, you know, publicly listed pharmaceutical companies, you know, the big ones, we know their names out there. And then they're the ones that have the resources, have the team of experts and uh, um, 
the 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 input that they can uh, uh, put into this um, field to discover, explore, and see what the new drugs can be. But like we said before, it comes with a huge price and. Would there be an alternative to this kind of pattern of how everything works? But this is not something that can be done over a day or two, and it'd be interesting to investigate if there are some alternative paths or new ways of doing things or adding on top of what is already existing out there. Because I think it is time to think about new opportunities, because. You know the outcome could be great, and it could be benefit benefiting so many people. We'll be back after this break. I was born on the seventeenth of November. Delve into a world of words with books and beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one. Why have you taken? Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Tzu underlined three points on the context game. There was no better wine, and not to mention the. Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audio books will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Fei Fei and Li Yi in the studio. Coming up, this spring sandstorm started bearing down on parts of China in March and April, causing the skies to turn yellow. Was behind this year's frequent sandstorms, and it's standard practice to allow a refund before the printed showtime of a movie. What about after the movie has started? Our special segment, Motivational Monday, is also coming. Your way will give you that adrenaline shot for the start of the week. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. And do you have a question for Roundtable's Heart to Heart segment? Well, send us to us, and it could be answered on the show. Please send a voice memo or your email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail dot com. Also, we have two special shows in the making, and it'd be great to have your input to it. One is about thoughts. Asian elephant protection and wildlife conservation. Another one is AI technology development and its perils. So, if you have some thoughts about that, you know where to find us. EZFM Roundtable at foxmail.com. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, sandstorms could be a seasonal ordeal for those living in the northern parts of China. But this year, sandstorms have frequented Chinese cities more often than usual, according to the National Meteorological Center. As of 7 a.m. on、uh, April the 20th. Sandstorms have affected 15 provinces and regions in the country, sweeping across over a third of China, and it is the worst it's been in recent decades. So,、um, I don't think we're that much inclined to do so. But if you could be so kind in refreshing our memory in、uh, the sandstorms this year, well, I think you know as a As a person who was born and raised in northern China, I don't think sandstorm used to be a stranger to me. You know, I think Fei Fei might also share similar experience. You know, you know, I remember when I was small in Tianjin, the, the city was frequently hit by sandstorms, and I have this very vivid memory that those ladies and aunties would just wear. Light scarf, you know, to cover their head and neck when riding bicycles. But I think in recent years we don't really see such frequent sandstorms because of maybe different measures to tackle that problem. However, unfortunately,、um, recently we've seen a very,、um, I would say, very serious different rounds of sandstorms hitting China. You know, according to an expert with. 
the China's、uh, Meteorological Authority, China has experienced a more than frequent sandstorm this year compared with the past ten years. And as of April 13th, the latest round of sandstorms has covered more than 4.5 million square kilometers and affected over 20 provincial-level regions. And so far, China has seen eight rounds of sand dust weather since the start of this year, and that's more than any other year in the past decade.、Mm-hmm. And with the first sandstorm occurred on January 12th, which is 32 days earlier than usual,、so、and particularly,、mm-hmm. I think the southern and eastern part of China was also hitted by these sandstorms. Yeah, where does the sand come from? Well,、um, uh, well, there are a lot of sources along the way because these sands they sure traveled a long distance to reach even to the coastal region in China, which is really, really where rare for provinces like Zhejiang and cities like Shanghai to even see sandstorms. And now, but now I think the experts are saying that main, a lot of the sands mainly come from the Gobi Desert in central and southern Mongolia, and also along their way、uh, to. So in Mongolia, there are also some deserts as well. So some of the sands and dust are also contributing to the process. And also, I think you know, as someone who grew up in Mongolia, ten、um, years ago we used to have frequent sandstorms as well. It's like living. I re- I vividly remember during one year during my dr- junior high, it's like living in a glass of orange juice. It's like everywhere <laughs> you look, it's orange, it's、mm. pure orange, and you can't see anything else. But this year, it seems like you know yesterday once more. After decades of trying to planting trees, planting、um, plants along the way in the deserts, and trying to restore the grass. Grasslands in Mongolia. We are still facing this problem, and now I think the question is really into climate change. Is why sands and dusts from Mongolia are able to travel this far? This far is not only just tens of thousands of miles of distance, and I think、uh, a lot of the scientists have been、uh, looking at this for years. Is that Mongolia right now are seeing warmer weathers? And also ex- more extreme weather's because Mongolia, as a lot of pointed out, that Mongolia is one of the most vulnerable vulnerable place in the world for climate change. Is that they they have yes they have sometimes more rainfalls throughout the year, but these rainfalls come into a more Heavier ones. It's not like having smaller rains throughout a week, but it's like having a storm within one day, so that you can see that with the winters are getting warmer, and the ice start to defrost at an earlier year,、uh, earlier month of the year, and now the dust is sort of on the surface, but there is no rain to sort of put the dust down,、mm. and now coming from also we are seeing more stronger winds coming from. I don't know, maybe the North Pole or t- from the Serbian, 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 pl-、uh, Serbian region that the strong winds are sending these dusts and sands to a longer distance. And I think、um, during last year, I spoke to one of the experts studying climate changes, and he said, you know, you know, do you know a warmer day on the Tibetan Plateau means something could happen for the summer in Europe?、Mm-hmm. And I think. Right now, the sandstorm we are seeing this spring is that sentence in reality for us. Is that maybe something happened really up in the north during the maybe last year or during the winter is now affecting us now this year? Yeah, we're seeing this show up in various. Areas and ways.、Um, also, we're seeing shorter snow coverage time and.、Uh, This year, take Inner Mongolia as、um, an example. It's had relatively、uh, less snow-covered areas and、uh, a shorter time period of enjoying snow. And then this all shows that it's the circle of life, or we're all connected. And also, what happens in our neighboring countries, such as Mongolia, you know, it affects. Those living in Beijing and other Chinese cities, and、um, 
certainly environmental issues. It's not one person's issue. It's not one country's issue. And uh, it seems like international cooperation is very much needed mm. to even come close to reverse the tide or try to stop what is um, moving and changing as we read in the news all the time these days. So... Um, it's rather unfortunate. We're seeing the uh, sandstorms um, visit us more often than previous years um, this spring. But there has been a lot of effort that's gone into um, making the situation better. And it seemed like we did make the situation better for some time. So could you walk us through some of the um, efforts that's already been been made and um and what's yeah and and what's not working this time well i think as fefe and also as you mentioned heyang sandstorm is not really a problem that can be solved singly within one country and it has to be addressed more like internationally and previously i think we do have certain efforts being paid to solve this problem on a global basis for example as early as 2002 china japan and south korea cooperated with mongolia establishing the china japan south korea plus mongolia northeast china sand and dust storm prevention and control cooperation model. So I think these countries are trying to solve this problem in a more integrated model and trying to tackle the problem for citizens for its own country as well. And also within China, we've seen so many efforts being paid during the past decades. For example, we're trying to plant more trees and plant more plants in those Deserts, And in the meantime, I think there's a very famous program known as the Three North Shelter Belt Program. And uh, that is major to prove the ecological environment and increase the forest coverage in northwest, north and northeast China. And uh, launching this program in 1979, and that covers 13 provinces. And as, as of the end of 2020, this project had had accumulated a total you know conservation area of nearly 32 million hectares so i think that's a good news you know seeing these different programs and efforts are playing a role in terms of solving sandstorms and meantime if you look at china's efforts to address this issue i think we do have effectively reduced sandstorms you know according to data from the inner mongolia meteorological service from 19 from 1961 to 2011 there were an average of 21.7 dusty days and 4.9 sandstorm days per year in the region however in the in the past decade there were only 9.1 dusty days and 0.6 sandstorm days per year on average So we do see an effective measure being taken and we do see results being showed to us. However, I think more efforts do need to be addressed. And particularly when we talk about sandstorms, we do need to understand how effective it can be for human beings and also for cities and towns out there because it can not only affect our health like causing different serious breathing problems and also maintenance problems but also it can also deteriorate our infrastructures it can cut off towns so i think that's why we do need more efforts to address this issue yeah so certainly lee makes a really good point in you can even say the accomplishments that have been made in this area to stop a lot of the sandstorms. Then what went wrong this year? Well, like having forests and planting trees itself, it has benefits, but mm -hmm. it's not enough. And it certainly doesn't seem to be enough to stop the kind of sandstorm that we're seeing this year. Yes, because the functions of these trees and plantation and afforestation in China, it only helps with the local sandstorms. It's like if you plant trees in the Mongolia, it will only improve the situation in the Mongolia. It can't really address the problems in another parts of the world. And although also these um, sh shelter belts, it has a limited height and it can only purify within a certain range, a range of 10 meters. So for dusts, that are floating really yeah. high in the sky, they can't really work 
to that direction. So I think apart from、uh, planting trees or other plants in the local area, sometimes we do really need to look further, especially into other industries as well. For example, in Mongolia, they are really resourceful when it comes to different mines, and those mines are, I think. One of the major reasons why the Mongolian and a lot of places, a lot of lands on the earth, are not seeing enough plants and、mm-hmm. trees. And to put it well, we of course on the one hand you need those mines for e- economical development, but also there are more ecological friendly ways for mining. And I think、uh, it can be more expensive compared to the traditional. Old ways of mining, but it's worth the time and effort and money to restore some of the plantations after you mine the area. And I think that's what international cooperation can help with the situation a little bit: is that to mine in a more eco-friendly way. And also for Mongolia, it has a large population of herdsmen, and their way of Raising their animals is also a major part. Where as us in Mongolia used to experience, have put a lot of damage onto the grassland. So I think when it comes to international cooperation, when how to help the herdsmen to make a living and also in an eco-friendly way is another direction that we can go. Yes, and also I like to、uh, sort of direct our attention to the other side of the, of the coin a little bit. That is sand itself. Is not necessarily a bad thing because、um, the sand、uh, contains nutrients such as、uh, calcium, which can neutralize nitrogen oxides and sulfur dioxide in the air during the deep. Position process effectively reducing acid rain, but it's just when you have anything to in a quantity that is too much or in a in a pattern that、um, is unseen before, and then it might become a problem. So we're all connected in this world, and、uh, we do hope that we can see less of these sandstorms in the cities as well. And moving on to the next、uh, topic of discussion, if you don't like a movie you're watching in a cinema, can you get a refund? The answer is yes, you can. But there are strings attached. Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. You're listening to Roundtable. Yangcheng Evening News reported that a moviegoer received a refund of half the ticket price even after the lights dimmed because, quote unquote, the movie was that bad. The cinema in Guangzhou City, southern China's Guangdong Province, confirmed the news story and explained a refund can be processed up till. The last twenty minutes of the movie, but no further. Did you know that within the moviegoer, it's within the moviegoer's rights to ask for a refund even after the movie starts in a cinema? Certainly no. I, it <laughs> certainly opened a new window for me. I think for going to a movie, and I can have a second choice even after the movie has started. But I think that happens only really rarely. It doesn't happen like every day. And I looked into it.、Uh, in fact, the China Film Distribution and Exhibition Association has announced that the cinemas or the third-party ticketing platforms, because a lot of us here in China. Are buying movie tickets right now through these platforms? They need to have certain policies in place so that the moviegoers, the customers, can have the right to say no. And also, in practice,、uh, last year, a court in Shandong has also asked a theater to. They were fined eight thousand yuan for refusing a consumer who asked for a refund for movie ticket. So now I think as consumers we know where our rights are, and it's a good example for、yeah. us to say no to bad movies. Right. So it is written in the regulations, but not in 
great detail. So it's still up to the cinemas to come up with their sort of own interpretations to the rule. And, you know, not every cinema is going to have the same policy in that sense. And and who's going to bear the cost, you know, if a refund is given to a, a cinema goer who um, decided that I want my money back halfway through the movie? I think in theory should be in the same way, like how business operators and production companies and the cinemas are sharing the benefits or the interest of a certain movie. So I think maybe if they see too many audiences are like trying to refunding or returning those tickets, then the loss should be shouldered by this all parties as well. You know, I think that's what you think, and I think you make a very good case. But in fact. Most likely, the cinema is gonna、oh. shoulder the cost.、Mm. So I think, of course, it's again not in their interest to give you that refund. But to establish, you know, good customer service, then maybe they will sometimes.、Mm. And also, I think for um, is is maybe it's the time now for the cinemas and also the movie makers and also other. Uh, parties involved in the production and release of this movie to really think about their own responsibilities and liabilities, because you know, frankly, we've seen some really bad movies, and we really want to say no in certain ways to、yeah. sort of show the producers that your work is really suck and <laughs> you need to improve on that.、Yeah. And the only say we have is really with the ticket, the money,、yeah. mo- the money we pay, and I think is. Really unfair for only the cinemas to burden the loss, and also the the production companies or other companies involved in this should also so know the feedback of the market. It's a good thing, I think. You know, they、yeah. are hearing directly back. Yes, indeed, and I agree with you that sometimes when you're sitting in the dark and you just wish you're not there, but you've paid the price, and the ultimate price is two hours of your life that you're never gonna get back, and it's horrible. So that's why I don't go to the movies that much anymore. <laughs> I need to check with you guys. When you say it's good, then maybe I'll go. And the problem is when too many of us are thinking like that, then.、Um, You see an outpour of、uh, support for certain movies, and for other ones that you know don't get a lot of attention, then you know sometimes people don't even bother to go find out it's good or that bad. And、mm-hmm. um, yeah, and also after COVID, I think going back to the cinema is is maybe something that still needs a little bit of encouragement for people because I think our Um, consumer behavior, even when it comes to movies, could have changed a little bit.、Um, well, I'm curious to hear what you all think about this, and you can always send us an email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail dot com.、Uh, coming up next, motivational Monday. Uh, there's no way around a Monday. Only through it on this fresh start and perfect day of the week to seek out some new uh, maxims, uh, aphorisms, or inspirational stories. What do you have for us, Feifei?、Um, so I have a quote from <laughs> the now best actor at this year's Hong Kong Film Awards, the Shane Long Ching Wan. Liu Qingyun won his third title as the best actor, and I quote a sentence from his speech after winning the award: "Is that if people really have dreams, work hard, and live for a long time, the dreams will eventually come true, no matter for cheer or boo. I accept them all. It's better. It's better than hearing nothing back." And I think this sentence is very, very honest.、Mm. And it also came. It only come from someone who's been there, who's lived through both good times and bad times. It's something we can savor a little bit. It also points out. I think we need to first of all accept and make peace with ourselves 
before we really make anything in the society. And in order to do that, we also need a strong heart to accept all the criticism from around us. And also, we also need an equally strong heart to face the cheers from around you and not lose yourself during that process. And I think the first thing we need to do to build that strong heart, like what Xing Lao Qingyun said, is with self-acceptance, is to help could help us with our self-esteem in a way that we don't have to labor for others' opinions, whether it's bad or good, about us. We can only do the things that we believe is true and is good for the world, and we can stick with it. And I think, yes, some people have a big dream to achieve, and they need to stick to it for a longer time. And but. I think most of the time, what other people are saying about you can really mess with that process. Oh yeah, and you need to learn to shield those comments out, yeah, bad or good. And another point I think we can take from his speech is really live for a long time, take care of yourself. <laughs> Uh, because you said he said, if you work hard and live long enough, your dreams will come true. So you need to live long enough. <laughs> yeah, that's a prerequisite, and also be in the industry long enough and standing there on firm ground. And I'm here, no matter what you do to me, I am here. You know, having that conviction and commitment um, is also a. Premise to you know that kind of success story, and certainly in showbiz, success needs to be consistent in order to obtain longevity. Just like Fefe has told us, and artists dread the potential one-hit wonder、uh, label after their debut, and they dread the frightening possibility of a sophomore slump. And however, after that. Even when you make past that,、um, there are so there's still the pressure to remain on top. And this year at the Hong Kong Film Awards, it is two veterans winning the biggest prize, the biggest award. There's Liu Qingyun,、um, and there's also Sammy Zheng Xiuwen, who.、Uh, Finally, won her first ever Best Actress honor from the prestigious Hong Kong Film Awards after ten nominations in over twenty years. Finally, congratulations to her! And、mm, when you look at her career, which spans over thirty years,、um, there are、uh, bound to be ups and downs. But We tend to look at the ups, and also I want to note the downs as well. You know, suffering from depression, and、mm -hmm. not every movie is going to sell, and also you know all that negativity that comes to you, especially when you are someone who's so well known. But being able to bounce back from that is the perfect comeback story that everybody loves. And pain nourishes empathy; it builds. One's character, and I can see that in Sammy's performance. So very much well done and well deserved of her award. But also, pain might be inevitable, but suffering is optional. So let's not mix up those two.、Um, so therefore, I like to send you all off with a song by Sammy Chung, "Zhongshen Meili." Beautiful life. I don't think the English translation is as good as the Chinese, but anyhow, enjoy the music and、uh, hope you have a lovely, lovely day. Thank you so much, Fei Fei, and only Yi who will sh、uh, share with you her motivational shares in the future. And I'm He Yang. We will see you next time. <laughs> Be 你修补。